Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. If you've listened to Shameless before, you'll know that these chats are normally called In Conversations, interviews with influential Australians about their lives, careers and what they've learned along the way. And we love doing them. But these are unusual times and to reflect those times, we will be moving to In Isolation episodes for a little while. Interviews with women and men we know and love, not from a studio, but from their bedroom and lounge rooms wearing bed socks and pyjamas connected via video link. We will still be asking about their successes and failures, but also about this weird world we've found out ourselves in? How are they coping? Where are they finding morsels of light? And how have their views on the world changed when day-to-day life looks nothing like it used to? Because how we respond to tragedy says a lot about who we are. Are we optimists, pessimists, something in between? And in a search for meaning, what can a global pandemic uncover about ourselves? Hello and welcome to this In Isolation episode of Shameless with Osha Ginsberg, a man who needs no introduction. You probably fell in love with Osha when he was the host of Australian Idol all the way back in 2003, but since then he's gone on to become one of the country's most successful television personalities. He's now the host of The Bachelor and Bachelorette Australia and The Masked Singer. Osha isn't just here for the glittery stuff though, he has dedicated his career to a greater purpose, spreading awareness of mental illness and breaking down mental health stigma, as well as educating the public about the long-lasting effects of climate change. Osha was candid and clever and hilarious, and we can't wait to hear what you think of this chat together. Here's Osha. Osha, welcome to In Isolation with Shameless. We are so excited to have you on. I'm I'm happy to be here. I am in the middle of, uh, I, I've just been recording episodes of Dad Pod, uh, which is one of the podcasts I do. I make it with Charlie Clawson in allocated pre-planned baby nap time. Honey, when the baby's asleep, do you mind if I just run downstairs? I'm going to do this to boys. And I've got this other one. It's called Shameless. But, and I just got a video of the baby being awake. So I just I just ran upstairs. Hang on, I'll play this to you. It's pretty cute. So oh, this please is- do. So I should be up there uh, <laughs> looking after Wolfie, but instead I'm here with you guys. <laughs> oh, no. We do start every interview, Osha, with the same question. Because we're doing these in isolation, we're not all in the same room, so we can't have that same vibe, but we want to give it to the listeners of where you are right now. Like set the scene, you're not with your child. 
You, it looks like you're in an office. What's going on? I am. I well, I already do a lot of voiceovers from my house. I do Bondi Rescue. I do previously on The Bachelor on this very microphone from your house. Yeah, on this microphone right here. So I do all that stuff. I've been doing that. I did used to do Take Forty Australia from my house as well a long time ago. So I've been broadcasting from my home for a. I did radio from my home for. So I've kind of always had a studio in my house, but now considering that we are not in production on Bachelor, I've kind of up the game a bit and so I've got my little studio here I've got lights and I've got a teleprompter and I've got a green screen and and little things like that which is fun at the moment all I'm really doing is running quiz nights for my mates because we can't have our poker game on Wednesdays like we normally do but we'll see what comes of it so that's where I am I'm downstairs at my house far more professional than us I am sitting on an outdoor deck table which I've had to bring into the spare bedroom because I don't have any kind of podcasting equipment set up in this room I do need to though Zara and I've been talking we need to like deck out both of our houses because we're gonna be working from home for a while I'm guessing oh it's gonna be ages and I have to go into work because my wi-fi is too terrible at home so I imagine a lot of people are gonna have these issues it's like no internet that works i can't do my job so it's so hard you can't hotspot from your phone no the hotspot's not strong enough either what i wanted to do is i wanted to start the interview not talking about the event i wanted to ask about your childhood you grew up in london and moved to australia is that right as a little kid what was that like no no i didn't grow up in london i just happened to be born there Ah. We came here when I was younger than Wolfie is now. I was but a babe in arms on a 747 and um, we showed up uh, to Adelaide, which is a strange town on the edge of a desert you may have heard of. And I lived there till I was about five and then did pretty much all of the growing up stuff in, in Brisbane. So the sandpit stuff in Adelaide, the, um, the park drinking uh, in Brisbane. And then I moved back to Adelaide for a little bit. And then I've been in Sydney since 1999 when I moved to America in 2005. And I came back from America in 2015. So I've been back since then. Anyway. that's what were you like as a kid? Jumpy, weird, nervous, full of anxiety, strange, uh, trying to compensate by being bigger and louder, um, overweight, compulsively eating, in Weight Watchers by the age of eight. Um, Yeah, odd, odd. Were you ambitious? Like, how was your, I was going to say, how's your relationship with ambition as a kid, but that sounds like a stupid way to put it. But like, were you a kind of hustler? Because it takes a lot to get to where you are now. It takes a lot to even get into mainstream television and how you got when you were younger. So it's interesting you ask that because what actually happens, and I, t- I talk about this in my book, I uh, have always had anxiety and always lived with anxiety. Um, it's, it's, you know, I manage it pretty well these days, but anxiety for me is a lack of control. When am I more in control than when I'm on stage or on camera? or on a mic, on a radio mic. Um, so my coping mechanism, uh, which I just I just had to pursue as much as I possibly could, how can I be on stage? How can I be uh, standing there talking and being the one who's in control as much as possible? And I did that all through high school. And then I played in bands all the way through into um, uh, when I started getting into radio. When I was about 20, I got into radio. And then I just... I. I don't know. Maybe it's because both my parents were refugees at one point and both immigrants. I'm an immigrant, but I'm white, so no one cares. But I just got that work ethic from my folks, you know, and just, oh, I've got a job because I'd been unemployed and I did not like being unemployed. Um, and just the, 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 the trick, there is no trick to getting a career in media. It's just... Uh, my manager in the states, an extraordinary man by the name of John Ferreter, used to say, "Only you know her heart. Only you know how hard you've worked to make your dreams come true." And 
you know, I knew that I might not be the smartest person. I might not be the most accomplished person, but God damn it, I could outwork every single one of you. And that's really what it is. If you, you just have to be prepared to do the work. And when I was in radio uh, from the age of about 20, I was doing six, seven day weeks, um, doing the midnight to dawn. So midnight to 6 a.m. shift. Every, I did that for five years before I got into Channel V, which was a, a cable channel on, on Foxtel in 99. I started that and we were doing three hours of live television, five days a week. And I did that for four years before Australian Idol showed up. So I'd been in broadcasting for 10 years before Australian Idol came, but I just worked my balls off. And I still do. I, it's, I still, I mean, I'm not now, obviously, because we're in a pandemic, but I still work my ass off. And you have to, you abs- if you want to keep any kind of momentum. And the, uh, the way I kind of structure it is about 50% of my time or 60% of my time is this is the work that I'm doing right now this is the gig this is the contracts that i've signed this is the 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 main show that is putting food in the fridge putting the kids in school and um putting dinner on the table and paying the mortgage right and then i spend about 40 percent of my time doing what's the next thing so that includes the podcasts that i do which is kind of always feeding into the next thing because the podcast leads into things like speaking and 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 mc work and stuff like that and then 10 percent of my time so that's the first like that's a year from now is 40 percent of the time is a year from now and then the 10 percent of the time is five years from now so i kind of break it like that I've, if you do math you will know that i just did not get to 100 percent just then <laughs> uh but it's, it's like 50 40 10 is is pretty much or, or 60 30 10 is about what i what i do but yeah there's no secret the secret is just work really 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 hard constantly check to see what can i be doing better ask people who do do it better what do i need to do better constantly check to see is this as good as it possibly could be before i put it out am i willing to do this and very very importantly do I want this bad enough or am I just taking up space in this chair for someone else who wants it more than me? And I have, I have stepped aside from gigs that I thought I really, really wanted, but I just didn't want it bad enough. And I'm like, you know what? There's somebody that needs to be in here, needs to sit here more than I do. And I, I stepped away. It was one of my great radio bosses, Craig Bruce. He once said to me, like, before you turn on the mic, if your heart doesn't race every time before you turn on the mic, you need to get out of the chair and let someone in who does. And twice in my career, I felt that where I've gone, wow. I don't, I don't love this enough. Someone will really love this. I shouldn't, someone else should be doing this, not me. Cause then what happens if you don't love it enough, you start to have resentments, you start to be shitty to the people you work with, you start, it's just, you just become the a stink around the office. But then what happens is you open up the possibility of putting more hours in your week to then go do something that you really, really can't wait to jump out of bed and do. That's a long answer to your short question. Talk to us about that stuff that you do really love that does light your fire within, I guess. What is it that you love about the work you do, whether that's on The Bachelor or it is podcasting or it is writing your friend in a book before, of course. What is it that you love about your career? Everything that I do, I have a a bit of a, I guess the rudder that goes underneath everything. It's all about how can I possibly do my very best to put something into the world that will connect people who otherwise don't have something to talk about. What can I do to make a conversation that is of value to make the world something that I want to live in, want for my kids to live in? And that's pretty much it. So something like, for example, the Bachelor Universe. Um, I mean, I adore working with the people that I work with. I get to go to work and help every day and help people fall in love. I just had 
I just had Matty J as a guest on this other parenting podcast I do with Charlie Clawson and just listening to Matty J talk about, you know, Marley's having a nap and whatever. I'm like, I was there when you met. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so cool. You know, it's so cool that I get to go to work and and that's my job is to help wonderful human beings like Maddie and Sam and and uh, Angie. You know, find find love, and that's a really wonderful thing to do. And the people I work with are amazing. And I, and there's a great flow state and a great. I think what I enjoy the most about working on Bachelor is that. But there's also a great flow state and unspoken communication between the team. We've done eight seasons now of Bachelor, so and Bachelor and Bachelor in Paradise. So there's a great flow state and unspoken thing that I don't know. You might get if you've ever danced in a, a Stedford and you that feeling when 30 people all get the move together you go fuck yeah it's like that <laughs> all the time what I love about the podcasting stuff is I love making those conversations uh, publicly available and putting the conversations out in the world that I, I wish that I could have heard not only when I was unwell but also particularly about conversations around climate change and around global warming that and cl- climate adaption and policy that Aren't, I don't feel I aren't being put out there. And I guess with the writing, it's what I love is that, you know, I'm again, I'm just trying to put into the world a story that I wish that I could have read um, when it came to not only drinking, but also dealing with episodes of mental ill health. Just the idea that you're not alone and that, you know, we are, we're all in this together. There's only one atmosphere, there's only one ocean, you know. We're all, we all share it and we're all here together and we all have to figure out how to do it as we're finding out right now. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that we're talking about this now as we are in the middle of this global pandemic because there are so many parallels. I mean, as you said before, they're going to be far more extreme much later. But I did want to ask you about the space we find ourselves in now because what we've been asking people that are coming on mic at the moment for this In Isolation series is what were your plans for 2020 before everything went to shit? Like what did you see in your year? The season eight of The Bachelor. We all saw that in our future. Yeah. Now we're all depressed because it's not on the way yet. Can I help Lockie find love? Um, <laughs> that's basically it. It's a very intense job. We shoot all the time. There's not really much time left for anything else. So it was mostly that and um, season five of The Bachelorette, season six of The Bachelorette, I think we're at now. Season six. Season six. Season six of The Bachelorette. You know, that, that's kind of what I had plan for 2020. <laughs> Can you it. talk to us when you say it's a really grueling schedule? Uh, I think Mara and I know that because we have met lots of people in television, but we've also met lots of Bachelor contestants who tell us how long rose ceremonies go for, for example, yeah. and how grueling the schedule is. Can you actually explain that to the listeners who might just tune in every Thursday, for example, watch the show, tune out and not think about all the logistics that go on behind the scenes? What is the filming schedule look like? What is your life like over that eight I'm, I'm I'm bound by so many fabulous non-disclosure agreements. I can't give you too much of an answer, but I will tell you that we shoot every day. And if we're not shooting all day, like in all the daylight, we're shooting in all the night light, like all night. So we, we swap every couple of days from going from sunup to sundown to from sundown to sunup. Um, and that takes it out of you. <laughs> God, I can't even imagine. So let's talk about The Bachelor this year then because obviously, as you said, it was in your 2020 plan. It's being pulled. What's it like to be told it's on pause? What is? Does anyone actually know what the plan is for the show or is it sort of in temporary hold for the moment? 
we're in hiatus. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't think they do either, but I'm sure they're very, very clever. People who are far more clever than I trying to figure out uh, what we're going to do. You know, I think it's like anyone and any, you know, that is in any workplace, you start to realize that, you know, I've never in my career grappled with anything like it. Um, On one hand, I want to keep working. I want to make sure that, you know, I can keep making money, but I also don't want to risk my family by coming to work every day. Similarly, I want all my friends that I've worked with for the last eight years to keep money, making money and, and keeping able to, you know, you know, provide for their families. But I also don't want them that feel that they need to risk their families to come to work to help. And it's just like, I've, and each one is, it's like you go to the gym and you pick up two 10 kilo weights. Each one weighs the same. Like, wow, normally one's hit <laughs> and I can figure out which one to put down, but I couldn't. Like the, the, the desire to keep working and, and wanting to keep making the show was as strong as, but I don't want to risk my family or have my friends and colleagues risk their families. At the, it was, yeah, it's really hard. I've there's a been... huge cognitive dissonance, isn't it? It just feels like such cognitive dissonance that there's not many positives to throw around. And I do want to know for each of us, I feel like there's been such a moment of realisation where it's dawned on us that normal's going to look different for a very long time. There is no normal anymore. No, the, 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 the end of the day, when, when I sat down and thought about it, and I, and I was quite, you know, I spoke with Audrey, my wife, about this quite a bit. At the end of the day... I could give a shit, all right? I'll go live in a caravan in Bundaberg. That's fine, okay? You can, there'll, whatever it looks like, there'll be another job. I'll be able to make money again. I'll be able to make enough money to put groceries on the table, all right? I can't buy my kids new lungs. I don't care how much money you've got. I can't buy them new lungs. And if one of them were to die, I, I can't buy that. So in the end of the day, the, the economic argument goes out the window. I, this is a decision for anybody else to make. That's fine. I don't care what my retirement looks like. I don't care what any of that looks like. I really don't. It's I, I can't use any amount of money to buy those things. And so, therefore, I will protect those things as much as I possibly can by isolating, making sure I clean all my surfaces once a day, uh, doing the right thing, taking space around everybody when I go out, and being really, really careful because... You know, that's 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 really it. If you don't have your health, you've got nothing. You really mm. don't. Coming up after the break, how does Osha feel about life in the midst of a pandemic and why he believes this experience will change how we live forever? But first, a word from today's sponsor. Was there a moment where it dawned on you that this was very, very serious and that lives would be looking very different for a long time. Like I remember I was uh, sitting at home on my birthday and I realized that we would not be going into the office. This was mid-March. We would not be going into the office. Things were going to be on lockdown. Businesses were going to be shut. People were dying in rapid rates in the, the curve. I think all of the graphs were just going basically meteoric growth across the board. And I think it dawned on me on that day, but I feel like everyone has a different day or a different moment where they realized how bad this was. Do you have a moment where it dawned on you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm a pretty nerdy person. So I know what an R naught number means. I know what an infection rate uh, looks like. Um, and you only needed to look at the numbers coming out of China and the size of the hospital they built and the level of lockdown that they needed to 
enact. And I have friends who live in China. I have friends that live in Hong Kong. I have friends that live in parts of the Middle East where they had been hit way earlier than. So I was t- texting them in the daytime. They're going, seriously, man, this is, I get my temperature checked six times a day. Um, it's hectic. And it was, it was, there's no question it was going to happen because we were still allowing flights. We were still having cruise ships to land. It was going, it's absolutely going to happen here. And Anyone that thinks, oh, we'll put the economy on hold and then we'll come back and it'll be back to normal. No, because we've suddenly, we've been told for all these years, you know, I think what was in last year, it's like, it's it's expensive. Like childcare was expensive empathy and oopsie-daisy. Oh, now suddenly we've got people who yelled and screamed at us last year about why there's never going to be free childcare in Australia to suddenly go, all right, it's economically really important to have free childcare. Yeah, it is. We've only been trying to tell you, but now you finally see it. So I'm grateful that you've seen it. All right. You know, things like that. That's going to be a hard thing to take back. Oh, yeah. You know, that's going to be a really hard thing for th- to take back. And now that we've got a taste of it, that's not the only thing we've got a taste of. We're like, oh, yeah. This whole lie that we've been told this whole time about buying stuff makes you happy. I haven't been able to buy stuff for a month. Mm. When I'm hanging out with my family, I'm playing board games and I'm, yeah, homeschooling's a drag, but I really like being around them. Maybe I should do more of this and less of the other thing. <laughs> I don't really, at the end of the day, don't really need that much. Need enough to pay the mortgage, enough to put groceries on the table. But do I really need another TV? Do I really need another top from that online place that sent me an email I didn't think I needed until I, suddenly now I have to get it because I saw a photo of someone that looks like me because they know exactly how old I am because I bought something on a website. Blah, 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 blah. And suddenly I've got a cupboard full of shit that I bought online that I don't need. Like, no, that's all bullshit. That's all a lie. And what actually does make us happy? It's leaving something that we baked on our neighbor's front door. It's checking in on a neighbor far enough away. Are you guys going okay? I'm going to the grocery store. Do you know anything? Oh, yeah, cool, yeah. My neighbor comes around and we work out in my backyard. He stands on one side of the backyard. I stand on the other. He's got his kettle. I give him a kettlebell. He works out on that kettlebell. I'm over here. And so we chat and we chain in the morning. He And, you know, we're five meters apart. But, you know, that connection with our neighborhood, that's, you know, oh, right. We were in... um. We went for a walk the other day, um, Audrey, and we took Wolf and G, went for a walk, and Audrey looked around and just seeing all these pods of families walking, and she goes, this is must, have, must have been what it was like before television. Now, you can't tell me that every single one of those people isn't feeling that part of this is actually quite a bit nicer than the thing that we were doing before. Why are we in such a rush to go back to what we were doing before exactly the way we were doing it? It would be an immense shame, an shame if we did suddenly snap back to this endless hamster wheel of consuming, 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 and not really realizing that true happiness comes from looking after people and connecting with other human beings, not buying another thing that will end up in the council cleanup in a year from now. You know, there's a mate of mine that uh, works in, in an office. They were saying that, oh yeah, they were just about to move to a bigger office because they needed to find more people. They had to empty a boardroom. They had to put five desks in there. As soon as the lockdown happened, everyone works from home. He's like, you know what? We're getting more work done than ever. I probably don't need to get a bigger office. On the other side of this, I'll probably restructure how we do things. And you know, could you imagine suddenly nationally telehealth is available to everybody? Mm. All right, all these things they said that, well, no, you can never have that. That's some sort of socialist dream. And now we're doing these things. All right. 
the work from home, work on a, on a webcam is allowing people to kind of manage their structure, their day, spend time with family, get their work done. Cause they're like, well, you know what, if I figured this out and I, work, I don't have to commute anymore, I don't have to fight my way through the train station or fight my way down a freeway. I'm just, you know, I've got more time to be with the kids in the morning. And then this is going to change, like things have already changed. It's not going back to the way it was. Mm. It really isn't. And as long as we embrace the uncertainty of that and we embrace the, well, it's going to be different. We don't know how, but understand that we'll be okay. We'll figure it out. And then it could be different, could actually be a lot better than what it was. And I think that's the thing that as Australians, we can kind of get very afraid of any kind of change because we've been sold this bullshit idea that any change is a frightening thing. But change can actually be a really good thing. Okay. And you know, part of that idea and, you know, one of the things that I would, I would remind people is that in this time when we are kind of checking our phones and seeing, trying to figure out the news and see what's going on, think a little bit about, about the business model of where you are getting that news from. Any website, Google, Facebook, Twitter, any commercial news website, if you look at the news and there's an ad on it, any website that is, understand their business model, their business model, like a deliverer's business model is to get someone, get them to get the takeaway and drive it to your house. Okay. That's their business model. Um, that's what a business model is, right? So any of these places, their business model is to keep you looking at their website for as long as possible. Keep you clicking on more and more things. What makes us click on things? Oh my God, that looks frightening. Oh, crikey. I better click on that and find myself how to keep safe, find out how to keep myself safe from it. And what's the other thing that makes us click on stuff? Oh, I think I'll miss out if I don't buy this thing or look at that thing or do this thing. I don't want to miss out. So their business model is to keep you looking for as long as possible. Just understand that that is part of the wording they use on every headline, the part of the tone they use in writing every article. Just understand that. And once you understand that, you look at it like, because I remember when I stopped eating meat and I would drive around and suddenly I was seeing fast food billboards for the first time. It's like, wow, it really comes at you at every angle all day long. You should eat this. You should eat that. You should eat this. You should eat that. Once I went to just rice and veggies, I was like, man, this is fucking everywhere. <laughs> all these people telling me what I should put in my mouth. Well, it's up to me what I put in my mouth. <laughs> man, you got me on a ranty afternoon, ladies. I'm so sorry. No, I love it. Give us Osha ranting anytime. You do have a very beautiful perspective. Like I thought that was a very thoughtful way to look at the idea of change and, and leaning into change when um, we feel scared of it. And I guess that's what I wanted to ask you about was fear. Like what has your relationship been with fear in the last few weeks? Have you felt much fear? Has it changed in light of everything? Oh, I think like anybody, you know, I'm, I, I worry about I worry about stuff. But like a good sober person, I know to accept the things I cannot change, have the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference, mm-hmm. all right? And I know that I've been working really hard in the last year or so on something called acceptance commitment therapy, which has been really powerful for me. And it's allowed me to, it's been quite transformative actually around my anxiety and, and my obsessive compulsive disorder. It's um, helped me manage both of those things quite well. So I still feel fear, okay? But like the book says, you go, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm still going to do this thing, all right? And understand that fear is it's useful, but it might not be a fact, okay? might not be real. Okay, appreciate that. Thanks very much. Are you absolutely real? Can I check with somebody else? Can I check with my wife? Can I check with my husband? Can I check with my boyfriend? Can I check with my girlfriend? Can I check with my kids? Hey, kids, what do you reckon of this? Is this, what is this? Is this okay? It's all right. Okay, cool. Sorry, I'm just a little worried about it. 
No, it's okay. Fine. All right. I'll give it a shot. All right. Just because you feel it doesn't make it real. Mm. Very important. Very, very important. So just getting used to that. And yeah, sure. Dude, none of us have any, yeah, it's scary as shit. But like, I'm on, I'm, I'm on never ever go back to shooting. <laughs> you know, that might actually happen. Uh, that's, and that's what, not, what we know as our economy, as the way we live, as the, you know, the mortgage that I pay, whatever, all that stuff might go away. It might. What can I control? Well, I can control, hopefully, how much sleep I get. I can control, obviously, it's hard right now. We've got a newborn. I can control what I eat. I can control how I am to the people that I'm around. I can control how much work I do to make sure that I do my part around the house. I can control how much I exercise today. I can control how much I connect with another person. I can control the quality of the conversations I have. I can control what I expose myself to. We talked about junk food just before. Is the news I'm reading essentially just junk food or am I actually getting good news? Am I reading stuff that's the same as like drinking a liter of lemonade and eating a large fries or am I, you know, doing the right thing and like snacking on a couple of carrot sticks and a bit of hummus? All right. What am I putting into my body, both mentally and, and nutritionally? I can control those things. That's it. I don't control whether we let a cruise ship dock or how many people are standing too close to each other at the park or any, I, I don't control any of that. So I can accept, yeah, it's really uneasy. I feel really uncertain. I'm noticing that I feel really uncertain. Okay. And I can just be with that. I don't have to fix it. I find it really interesting when you talk about we don't need to feed our mind the junk food of news because we actually did a segment on that recently where we said it's okay not to read every news headline. It's okay to fill your mind or to treat your media consumption like you treat your diet in that what you're feeding your mind is as important as what you're feeding your body. And I want to know as someone who clearly shares that philosophy and that you don't need to read every breaking headline from every commercial news source, what do you feed your mind? What is the nourishing content that you turn to? Well, uh, bear in mind that I'm also, you know, like I said, I'm I'm an alcoholic, so therefore I I will seek any kind of addictive escape from uncomfortable feelings. So learning how to be with uncomfortable feelings is a thing that I need to do. All right, abstinence is the way I deal with alcohol, and that I just don't drink. I just don't drink. Um, there was a long time I lived alone. I'd never had it in the house. You know, it's in the house now. Audrey likes a glass of wine, but I don't go anywhere near it, and that's fine with me. Abstinence on my phone, harder. So like an eight-year-old boy, my wife has my screen time passcode. I cannot, if even if I wanted to, install Instagram or Twitter or Facebook on my phone. Even if I want to cheat and look through a browser, can't do it. It's blocked. Website's blocked on my phone. All right? And that really, 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 really helps. Looking at your screen time on a Sunday morning, whenever you get your screen time alert, mine comes on a Sunday morning, you know, just look through the apps, look how often, how often you look at that shit and you'd be like, that's like seven hours. I probably could have done something better. I could have done some squats. I could have called a friend. I could have had 14 really good half hour conversations with different people and felt way more connected to the world than I would have if I spent an seven hours scrolling through TikToks, which is fun when you want to do it, but come on. <laughs> After a while, it's just good. It's, you, we aren't, we'll never get time back. We talked about, you know, I can't buy my kids new lungs. I don't care who you are. You cannot buy more time on this planet. You can't buy more time. You can't. Time is the most precious thing any of us have. 
And I love a zombie scroll as next as much as the next person. But if that's what you find yourself doing it for hours every day, you may want to have a look at you know what that's actually doing for you. And and it's 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 the same. Like mental health and physical health don't physical health doesn't happen by accident. Okay, and I can say this from experience because I was once on the cover of a men's health magazine, right? <laughs> and I worked my ass off and I ate really carefully and I trained every single day, twice a day for a long time, like ten weeks to get that. So you don't accidentally end up on the cover of a men's health magazine with a six pack. It takes a lot of work. Similarly, you don't accidentally end up with good mental health. You have to work at it. You don't accidentally keep fit. You keep fit because you train every day or every second day, whenever you go to your class or you do your, she's doing online dance classes and stuff. It's, it's so good that she's a very active kid. So, you know, it's, you've got no excuses. Okay. But you don't accidentally do that. You deliberately eat, right? You deliberately work out. You deliberately stay stretchy and flexible to keep fit because you feel good in your body. Similarly, you don't accidentally have good mental health. Okay. It's deliberate. Get up in the morning, get your notebook out, write all the junk out, get it all out of your brain, look at all the fears, go, was that actually real? Okay. All right. So yeah, maybe I'm not being attacked by fruit bats. Maybe there's just a tree near me that they like. Okay, fine. You know, you got to challenge these things. Am I connecting with another person? Am I doing something kind for somebody else? You know, these are the push-ups and the squats of the mental health regime, all right? Connecting with other people, eating right, sleeping right, making sure you exercise. You do those things every day. You don't have to do it heaps. It's like all you have to do is like take it regularly, not seriously, exercise. Just take it regularly, not seriously. Just take it regularly. 20 minutes walk a day is all you need. Just go for a walk. If you can, go walking. And the same with your mental health. Just if you just do a little bit of it, pay attention to do it every day, you'd be surprised what it can do for you. But it's a deliberate act. It's like no relation. If you left your relationship uh, with your husband, wife, or boyfriend, or girlfriend, just to its own devices, it would eventually wither and die. No, trust me. As someone who's been divorced before, you got to work at it every day, every single day. That's the joy of it. You got to do it. You spoke before about the joy of playing board games with your family and you thinking, you know what, this is the stuff that I really love. And I wanted to know what else is sparking joy for you in the midst of all the confusion? Where are you finding joy right now? The giggles of our seven-month-old baby. Come on. (laughs) It's the greatest. The the group chats with my friends. I... uh, we normally have a, a a poker night that I've been a part of every Wednesday night for the last God fifteen years. We've been playing poker together because we can't get together now. So I'm I, I run a quiz show for my mates. Oh my um, God. Best quiz show host yeah. ever, virtual. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I put the jacket on. I've got a green screen. I do the whole thing. I do the whole thing. It's fucking fun. All right, but I I've got the music and everything. We run it, so we do it over Zoom. I run a quiz show for my friends and it's freaking fun. It's so good. Audrey makes me laugh every single day. She makes me snort laugh every day. She is just a beacon of kindness. She's the lighthouse of Alexandria just shining on the horizon whenever I'm feeling dark or, you know, despondent. There's this extraordinary woman with nothing but love and care and she's so clever and beautiful and you know, that's what brings me joy, watching her and Wolf together, watching her and Georgia together, watching the way the two of them just pay each other out because, you know, Jean's 16 and she's in the, in, the, in the salt phase. So it's great watching her and Audrey just kind of tease each other. It's amazing. That brings me immense joy, immense joy. That's so wonderful. I wonder as well, has 
what's been happening taught you anything about yourself? Have you realized anything about yourself in the last month or two? Um, I can get, well, I know that look, I've been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. So I know that I can get really, really focused uh, to the point where I can't, unfortunately, often hear what another person might be telling me if I'm in the middle of, no, I've got to do this thing. I've got to clean this room because I said I'm going to clean this room or you wanted me to clean this room, so that's what I'm doing. And someone can say something to me and I just won't hear them. And, you know, afterwards, I'd be like, why did you do it that way? I was, like, I was cleaning the room. I, I, and, you know, I, I hadn't taken enough care to do something because they said, hey, watch out for the thing, don't do the thing. But I hadn't taken enough care and I, you know, mis- misplaced something or knocked something over or whatever, but I can just be like, this thing has to be done. It's just very handy. You asked before about how I managed, you know, that's a very handy thing to have in your career, to have a brain that absolutely positively will not stop until something's done. So, you know, when I decided I wanted to make a quiz show for my friends, I'm like, I'll go all out. You know, I've built a graphics package. I've got the whole fucking thing, right? <laughs> I'm not just going to act, just do it a little bit of it. You're zero I'll, or a hundred. I'll do the whole thing as good as I can, but that's how I've always been in my life. And I've noticed that is, is detrimental when I am living in such close quarters with two other, she's essentially an adult, she's 16. So with two other adults who have wants and needs and boundaries that I can sometimes just bulldoze over um, unwillingly because I'm so singularly focused on on fixing something. That's a pretty, that I've, I've learned that about myself. I have to be far more careful around that. We ask everyone in every interview that we do what their definition of success is. And I'm really intrigued, particularly in a period like this, how you define success and whether that has changed in this period or it's always been a pretty consistent thought of yours. A clear definition of success is a really, really important thing to have. It's no secret that if if you need guidance in the broadcast industry and if you take the time to reach out to me, I'll talk to you. And I, so I end up talking to a lot of people who are trying to get into TV or working in radio or things like that. And I remember speaking to this one person, I was saying, well, you know, if you get in a car in a new city, you'll put into the GPS where you want to go, right? She goes, yeah. You wouldn't start the car before you knew the address where your destination was, wouldn't you? Yeah. So why do you think your career is any different? You know, you're just going to what? Make a, make a YouTube channel and hope that someone finds you, but then what? What do you want to do with it? You know, you've, you've got to know which direction you're going. You have to know. Otherwise, you're just sailing out into the wilderness and you'll run out of food. You know, right? you've, got to, you've, you've got to sort it out. So a, a clear definition of success for me right now is making sure that my kids have the, the best possible chance of happiness and the best chance of prosperity and safety that I can give them today and for the rest of their lives. That in, you know, I can't do that unless there's a stable home environment. So that means that, you know, Audrey and I will, you know, have a strong relationship and a solid relationship and one that models good, good boundaries and good communication and respect for each other. So, cause I can tell you one thing I can, I can tell my kid do this, do that. No, nah, they only, they only copy what they see. They only do what they see. So if you're modeling a good relationship, you know, you can be assured that that's a part of influencing their behavior is how you model your own behavior around them. So if I'm an idiot to the dog, I know that they will copy that. So I have, even though the dog pisses me off sometimes, I have to be very kind to the dog. So, you know, that, that's really it. It's like my clear definition of success would be just making sure that I make, you know, the the world as as good as I possibly can and, and make sure that these kids have the best chance they possibly can on, on this earth. And, 
that really drives everything. That drives how hard I work at work. It drives how much I want to talk about being a good human and trying to sort out your own shit so you can help the rest of the people around you. And that includes, you know, talking about climate change. I love that so much. Osha, we want to finish every episode with some recommendations for the listeners so they can go away and read or watch or listen to or make something that will brighten up their day. And we want to ask you, first of all, what is something that you have been shamelessly wasting the most time on right now, whether that's a book or a podcast, a movie, whatever? Shamelessly wasting the most time on. Shameless implies that it is of lower value. <laughs> Does I mean it can be it can be highbrow. We love highbrow. The title of the podcast, so <laughs> that means a lot uh, of value. Well, shamelessly, uh, probably during toilet time, I've found my way back onto Reddit. Oh, I love oh Reddit. Gosh, only toilet time. Got to be careful with it though. It might have to get on the list of things that Audrey has a screen time passcode for. <laughs> what subreddits do you look at? <laughs> All the weird ones. <laughs> All the weird, strange coronavirus memes. Uh, I, I find them quite. I find them quite interesting. Yeah. All right. What about food then? I am really interested in what people eat when they feel stressed or when they feel overwhelmed or the day's just been cold and they want to come home to a meal that they love the most. What's What's a food that you gravitate to when you feel confused or stressed or whatever it might be? My wife Audrey is an exquisite cook. She's so good, and she has recently started experimenting with this vegan eggplant parmesan. That is so off the chain. It involves, it gets baked and it's springy on the outside and gushy on the inside and it's got gluten-free, because I'm vegan and gluten-free. I'm a bloody <laughs> vegan celiac, a sober vegan celiac. I'm the most boring man in the world. <laughs> so made me vegan, gluten-free, eggplant parmigiana and it is out of control. It is so good. I've had it twice in the last two weeks, and I'm I just bow down to her. She made vegan gluten free hot cross buns the other day, Ooh. and they were delicious. And I gave some to my neighbour, and I, I I texted him, and I said, "Hey man, Audrey baked. I've left you know some because you know some hot cross buns for you and the family on the front door. Go and grab them." And he he said the next day he goes, "Yeah." So I sent that text because they they group text for their family. He's got older kids. And he said, within about a minute of that text to everybody all over the house, they were gone. <laughs> just like they were still warm from the oven and the butter melted and the or whatever they put on the melted. Yeah, so I'm Does very lucky. Does she share these recipes? I feel like it's a public service that she needs to share that recipe. Yeah, yeah. She put it up on, she put it up on my Instagram. I, I put it up on my Instagram, my vegan hot cross bun recipe. And I might, I might put the um, the uh, eggplant parmesan recipe up as well because it's just <sighs> so good. <laughs> And the last question we ask everyone, Osha, I mean, I tried to warn you about this when we jumped on the podcast, but you said, nope, just hit record. I don't want to know a single question I'm, that's coming up. And I'll, I'll tell you this way. When you work in reality television, you can't ask someone, oh, excuse me, can you please come back into the room and be told that you are through to the top 40 of Australian Idol and be super excited one more time? We missed it. <laughs> you can only capture someone's authentic reaction once. So only ever ask me when the mic's on. All right, my fi- our final question, not just my final question, Zara's here too. <laughs> our final question for you is what is one mantra or rule for life that you live by? <sighs> I have a lot. You can I give really... us more than one. The rule can be you can give us two if you really want. I give us two. Okay. 
Um, well, I would say it's not my line, but it's um, there's a Stoic philosopher, philosopher by the name of Seneca, and Seneca had this extraordinary line: uh, "While we wait for life, life passes." So that will cover you from, oh, you know what? <sighs> Things are bad right now, but once I move house, then everything will be fine. Or once I get those shoes, then everything will be fine. Or once I just, no. It's suddenly you'll turn around and you'll be me, 46, grey, with needing a hip replacement going, what? 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 I was young and fabulous a second ago. What the fuck happened? <laughs> so don't wait. But that also encompasses the, you know, yeah, it's scary. It's always going to be scary. I think if I had one, if I have one thing that I would say to you, it would be, well, okay, so two things. One, the golden rule, treat other people how you want to be treated. Okay. That's really it. That's the magic. That's the magic. Number two, and it's not my line. It's from a beautiful psychologist by the name of Susan David. She's absolutely exquisite. Uncomfortable feelings are the price of admission to a meaningful life. Okay. So... We all want joy and happiness and love and laughter and fun. You can't have those things without having sadness and loneliness and disappointment and upset and anger. But none of those things last, okay? None of them are permanent. So understand that, yes, sadness, it sucks. But if I'm sad, have this sad feeling for a little while, joy is on the other side of it. Or I'm lonely and I'm I'm really alone, but that's okay. Love is on the other side of that. I'm afraid right now, but that's okay. Courage is on the other side of that. It's okay, all right? No mental state is a permanent state, but just understand that disappointment and pain, that's a part of what it is to be human. As Susan says, it's the price of admission to a meaningful life because if you haven't experienced loss, how are you ever going to value love? If you haven't experienced loneliness, how are you ever going to experience togetherness? Fully, truly for what it is and understand that it's a, a fleeting thing that could go away, Okay then you would consider it precious and do everything to make sure that it would be beautiful, okay? That's what I would say. That is such a beautiful note to end on. And, Osha, thank you so much for making the time for us. I would say that you're very, very busy like everyone is right now, but I don't feel like any of us are that busy, but we are so appreciative of you making the time for us. It has been incredible to sit down with you and to pick your brain because I feel like you are so intelligent and philosophical and I could sit with you and listen to you talk for like hours and hours. So thank you. Well, if you want to listen to me talk, you're more than welcome to check out the more than 332 episodes of the <laughs> Hey, we were going to do you for you. <laughs> we will be what? giving links to everything you do, including your podcast, but also your fabulous book, which will be in the show notes for the listeners to find. Uh, ladies, I'm so excited to see that you're doing what you're doing. And I'm so I'm ever so excited for your success. You're clearly doing something wonderful. Uh, the wonderful thing about podcasting, I've been doing podcasting for seven years now. You can't fake it, all right? With TV and radio, you, you can kind of, you know, claim that you're, hey, we're number one in the demo. All right, uh, there's only a few hundred thousand people, but we won. Okay, but with, radio, with podcasting, it's like, no, this is the numbers. That's it. There's no hiding in podcasting. So the numbers you guys are doing, I'm so excited for you. What you have built with your audience is so wonderful. The rising tide floats all boats. So I'm so bloody happy you are doing what you're doing because it helps all the rest of us down here at the bottom of the chart. Oh, oh shut up. <laughs> helps us enormously. Thank you. And thank you for being so kind. It means a lot from us. Thank you. I'm sorry we saw baby time, by the way, but thank you. Yeah, I better get up there. All right. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to this In Isolation episode of Shameless with Osher Ginsberg. If you loved Osher as much as we did, please check out his wonderful book, Back After the Break. I'll put a link to that one in our show notes where you can buy it. You can also check out his wonderful podcast, Better Than Yesterday, which is in all good podcast apps. As for us, well, we adore seeing how you guys listen to these episodes every week. So please do show us how you're listening to this In Isolation app, whether that be doing a little bit of baking or going for a long walk or just sitting in the sunshine in your backyard if you enjoyed this episode head to our website shamelessthepodcast.com where you'll find links to every in isolation and in conversation episode we've ever done including with the likes of georgia love and rosie waterland we will be back in your ears on monday bye guys Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.